Thank you, guys. When five people heard a dying man's last words, which told them, in kind of an obscure way, the location where he had hidden $350,000, the frantic, frenzied journey begins with these five people running all over the place, bumping into things, fumbling around, tripping, crashing, tons of laughs in that old 1963 adventure film, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. I think I got enough mads in there. Have you ever felt like you were caught up in the madness, like you were stuck in this mad world where everyone is doing everything and anything they can just to get in ahead in life or just to get where they want to go? If you've ever been on the freeway down here, you know what that's like. The pizza revolution uh, began, I think, down in South Orange County with a, a small restaurant that opened up down at the Irvine Spectrum. It was, it was really small, but it became a big deal really quickly. And people from all over the place were, were coming to this, this, this one restaurant, and they were waiting 30, sometimes 45 minutes in line just so that they could be waited on by this team of specially trained individuals behind the glass who would put on the pepperonis that you wanted and the sausage or any toppings that you wanted on your pizza. You watched them make it. You could tell them where to put things. It was incredible. It was, it, was, it was amazing. But as you started to reach the end of the line, all of a sudden you started getting nervous because you looked around this small restaurant with a limited number of tables and you started realizing everyone else is doing the same thing that you're doing. They're looking for a place to sit down. And there were no places anywhere. And it was kind of like, kind of like a starvation crazed cheetah seeking a wildebeest. That's kind of what it was like looking for a table there. These people were just like, are they, are they almost done? They, maybe, maybe them were there. Oh, should I go for this one or should I go for that one? And you'd be looking at each other across the room at people standing around looking for tables. It was, it was intense. It was crazy. And just when you saw that person taking that last bite and they reached for the napkin, boom, they're off. And those table pouncers, they were ready to jump on that table. It was literally a mad, mad world at that restaurant. Was it worth it? You better believe it. It was great. We were having an awesome time. That's the way a lot of people go through life, though, isn't it? A lot of people go through life doing whatever it takes to win the prize. I mean, you push harder, you run faster, you bite firmer, you be meaner, you grab quicker. And if someone gets in your way or they get the prize first, well, you do whatever you need to do to take them down. But for those who have placed their trust in Jesus, that's not us anymore, right? Or is it? There was a time when we lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, but that's not the way we are to be anymore. Why? Because God, being rich in mercy, 
because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So you and I have been changed. We're we're not the same anymore. We've been lifted out of the rat race and have been given this this new life. And, And more than that, we've been given this new honorable position, pulled out of the shadows and brought into the brilliance of Christ's marvelous light. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, verse 6, God raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know, there's a, there's a reason that a pizza eater gets up from the table and walks away. There's a reason. Because they're done. They're full. They've, they've been satisfied with the meal that they sat down to eat. They don't need to fight. They don't need to claw anymore. They've been satisfied. And it's the same way with Christians. Or at least it should be. We don't need to claw. We don't need to bite. We don't need to do anything to get ahead anymore. Why? Because Christ has given us far more than we could ever imagine. Far more. But the trouble is, with so many of us, is that we keep acting like we still need to find a table. And yet God's got warehouses of tables for us in heaven. We're so used to living like table pouncers that we forget we're now table owners. We're so ready to bite anyone that we see as a threat to our happiness. And it shouldn't be that way. In verses 17 through 24, Paul was helping us see that there's been this fundamental change that's occurred. And he calls us then to to not only realize that that change has occurred, but now embrace that change. You're now in the light, so live in the light. Embrace the light. You need to put off the old life. You need to put on the new life. But in our passage this morning, in 25 to 32, he's going to get into the nitty-gritty of what living, living in the church is supposed to look like. It's kind of like he gave us an illustrated sketch of what this beautiful new building was going to be. And now he's going to dive into the blueprints. Now we're going to see the details here. So we're going to walk through it. But as we do, we're going to see several different things. And as we look at each of those things, there's a single thread that ties them all together. And this is, this is the way I, I packaged it. Christians living in the light need to show Christ-like love to each other. This is the thread that goes through everything that we're going to talk about this morning. It's moving from, what can I grab up for myself to now, how can I lovingly give of myself for the good of other people? It's ceasing to be a table pouncer, and now looking around the room, thinking, how can I help get them into a table too? Let's read together what Paul has to say. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, reading verses 25 to 32. Would you stand with me as we read this morning? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. And Paul says this, Therefore, having put away falsehood, 
Let each one, each one of you, speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. In our passage this morning, we see four major contrasts between the old life and the new life. First of all, Christians living in the light need to show Christ-like love. They need to show Christ-like love to each other as they exchange lies for truth. Look at verse 25 again. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we're members of one another. Because you've given up that old false life, a life of thinking that those shadows on the wall, remember we talked about that last week, that that was all there really was. We were buying into this lie, thinking this is what life is all about, but now we've been brought into the light. A life, we need to give up on that life of believing lies, a life of thinking that the path to fulfillment, of satisfaction, was all about what you could get for yourself. You need to do that because you now live in the truth. And we need to be sure that the words of our mouths point others to truth as well. Rather than throwing someone, uh, trying to throw someone off so that you can get ahead in life, we need to just tell the truth. Rather than turning to the, to, to the guy next to you and saying, hey, I, I think a table's opening up over there, and you run the opposite way. Rather than doing that, we need to be speaking truth to each other. Paul says the reason is that we're all members of one another. We're all connected to one another. Now, Christ loves you. And he loves you as an individual. An individual. Those, those I don't know if you've seen them, those saddleback church license plate frames that say you matter to God. Well, that's true. You do. He loves you desperately. Just like a shepherd goes and he leaves the 99 and he runs after that one sheep. Christ loves you. You're not, but you're not alone. If you've placed your trust in Jesus, you're now one of many. He, I mean, he's gathering to himself this mass of individuals that they might be, remember how did Paul phrase it? A new, a new nation, a new family. A, a dwelling place for God himself. He, he said before that we're part of Christ's body. We're one body. 
And my, my left hand doesn't try to deceive my right hand that's, that's reaching down and it's picking up a slice of pizza and it's going to my mouth. My left hand doesn't try to trick because it wants, to, it wants the honor of having to give my mouth the, the slice. No, it doesn't do that. It, we're all, it's all part of one body. It's just, okay, that's great. Right hand gets to do it this time. No trickery, no deceit. We're all part of one body here. And Christians living in the light, they have no, no place fighting each other and lying to each other, trying to get ahead of one another. We need to look around and realize this, this is God's people here. Yes, God loves me individually, but I am part of us and we're all part of each other. Christians living in the light, they have no business telling lies. And that goes for all forms of lying, right? Cheating on homework or on tax returns, making promises we know we can't keep, listening to things that we're told in confidence, making it clear, yeah, yeah, you you can trust me, and we go and spread it around. Even saying nice things untrue things to make someone feel better about themselves or maybe to, uh, so that we fall in their, their better graces. We can't be doing this. We have no business telling lies, but especially when it comes to the church because we're all part of each other. And if we lie to each other, then we're harming ourselves. We're harming the body. Now I think it's important for us to qualify this and mention that speaking the truth doesn't necessarily require us to speak every single thing that's on our minds, right? In a court, you, you speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But in everyday life, being truthful doesn't mean that we have to break confidence, it doesn't mean that there aren't legitimate secrets sometimes that actually need to be kept. And it doesn't mean that we just blurt out everything that comes to mind. Can you, can you imagine how explosive it would be if we were out there in the breezeway and we see someone and we see what they're wearing and we just, just start blurt out you know, the, the most unkind, offensive thing that comes to No, we gotta, we got to watchdog these mouths, don't we? we got to make sure that we don't always speak our minds. It doesn't mean we lie to each other. But telling the truth doesn't mean that we blurt out everything either. Remember what Paul said in verse 15, that we're to help each other grow into Christ-like maturity. And how do we do that? By speaking the truth in love. And that love is such a key aspect of it, right? If we fail to live in loving honesty with one another, well, then we damage the body of Christ, we, we create the, like a, a leprous environment in the church. You know, leprosy, you, you, we've read about it in, in, in God's Word. It, it was a horrible, horrible disease. And what happens is the, the nervous system fails to function properly. And those nerve endings, all of a sudden, they're not communicating truth to the mind. And when that happens, the mind can't tell the body what to do to react to pain or heat or whatever the stimulus might be. 
And so the body now doesn't react, and now it's touching things or leaning up against things or uh, being cut by things, and you have no awareness of it because your body is, in a sense, lying to you. That lack of sensation, it leads to injuries, it leads to illness, disease, and eventually it leads to death. We can't have that same thing happen in the church, but it does if we lie to each other. Christians living in the light need to show Christ-like love to each other as they exchange lies for truth. But they also need to change the way that they get angry. Christians living in the light, they need to exchange bad anger for good anger. Yeah, there's such a thing. And it's really important that we have it. Look at verse 26. Be angry. What a great command. Be angry. But then he turns it right around. But do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Not all anger is wrong. God is angered by sin. He hates it. Jesus, I'm sure, was angry when he saw the cheating, the lying, the stealing that was going on in the temple, and he started overturning those tables. There was a good anger that was going on there. Those who have been brought from death to life, out of darkness, into this marvelous light, they actually should have a deep-seated anger towards the evil that was previously deceiving them that was holding them captive, enslaving them. They should look back on their captivity, their life in the shadows, and they should absolutely hate it. They should hate the fact that the darkness continues to shackle and enslave people all around them, people that we know and love. We should hate that. That should make us angry. There should be something inside that just clenches up and says, when, when, Lord, when is the day that we are done with this? And we are just living with you in paradise. I am so tired, so pained, so hurt by seeing people that I love held captive and be led towards their doom because of the deceptiveness of sin. When we see the lives of Satan convincing people they should follow their own hearts, that they should live for self, that they should, uh, that they sh- they should uh, not live in the light of God's truth, but go hide and live in the shadows. When we see that, we should get angry. And we need to get angry. In fact, if we don't get angry, we should probably check ourselves. Because maybe we don't, we don't despise the darkness as much as we should. A little over a month from now, the world will celebrate a holiday that for so many has become this unashamed celebration of evil, of some of the worst, most vile, disgusting, depraved acts of evil the human, human imagination can come up with. I mean, we prosecute these things in court, but for some reason, on this day, it's, everything is fair game, and we celebrate, and we put them out on our lawns, and you know, all these displays, and put them on ourselves, and, and we're celebrating evil. For those of us living in the light, there should be a, 
a gut-felt repulsion, a furnace-like burning of anger towards the deceit and damage that the things represented on that day actually do to people who are made in God's image. There should be something inside that just says, no, this is... This grieves my heart to see these kinds of things celebrated. Those living in the light need to have a good kind of anger. One that drives them away from evil and desires deeply for Jesus, the light of Jesus, to come raining down and transform. Bad anger Bad anger is something that erupts in us um, from a love of ourselves. Good anger comes from a love for God. Bad anger comes from a love for ourselves. It's something that wells up inside of us when we're offended. Something that, that starts burning inside of us when our desires aren't met, or when we feel ignored, or we feel wronged, or we feel slighted. That's the kind of anger that drives us apart, isn't it? It's the kind of anger that drives a wedge between us. And it's really the opposite of what Christ did. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. James and John, they came up to Jesus one day. And they said, in so many words, we want something for ourselves. Jesus, we really like it if when we get on the other side, when we go to glory, that we get to sit on your right hand and your left hand. Essentially, they were saying, Jesus, if we're going to follow you and we're going to march in line, we're going to do all the things that you want us to do, well, we want to get something out of it. We want to be put in great places of honor here, Jesus. They thought that following Jesus was a way to get more for themselves. But Jesus sees right through them. And he says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, the, the selfishness that drives our anger, that needs to be eradicated here. We shouldn't be getting angry because somehow we got trampled over here. We're not concerned about ourselves and our reputation. We're concerned about God and Christ and His reputation and that alone. And we get angry about that. But you can walk all over me. That's fine. Anger that stems from selfishness has no place in the kingdom of God. And Christians need to exchange that bad anger for the good anger. Yet even as they do, Paul gives us a word of caution here. Even anger that develops for the right reasons can turn into an opportunity to fall into sin very, very quickly. We need to take care to make sure that our anger doesn't get control of us and lead us to do what is wrong or drive us to boil with rage to the point where it just goes on and on and on and we have this intense hatred. 
because we're not holy yet through and through, we have this ability to even in good anger to actually turn that into something evil inside of us. He says, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. One passage that we need to keep in our minds comes from Romans. Paul tells us in Romans 12, 17, this will help us in our good anger. He says, repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When someone jumped in front of Melissa, who was carrying our our then infant firstborn, Quincy, they jumped ahead of her just as a table right next to her was opening up, and they slid in and sat down in that restaurant. My anger burned. I was furious. And I think there was a part of that anger that was actually good. Because I saw injustice that was being done. Now, it was mixed with my own selfishness and all of that, but there was something good in it. But it could have gone south very quickly if I would have started expressing that anger and let it out. And at that point, I could have just tore those people apart in that restaurant, and I would have been giving way to evil. But because I want God's kids now, I need to trust Him. I need to trust that God is going to bring justice to all the wrongs that I see in my life. I need to trust that he's going to bring that justice to the people who have wronged me. We Christians, living in the light, we need to show Christ-like love to each other by exchanging lies for truth and by exchanging bad anger for good anger. It's so easy. In the church, we get very, very close to one another. We're bumping up to one another. We're rubbing each other the wrong way. Sometimes we say the wrong things or give the wrong look. So-and-so, I saw them. They looked right at me, and they did not say hello. They must not care. It was so easy for us to get irritated at one another, feel like we've been slighted, feel like someone has offended us, feel like someone doesn't like us, and our anger starts to well up inside And we need to trade that for good anger. But there's more. Christians living in the light, they need to show Christ-like love to each other as they exchange stealing for giving. Now this is kind of an obvious one, right? Verse 28 says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone who is in need. Stealing. We know it's bad. We're taught it at a very young age. It's still pretty much culturally unacceptable to steal. And yet it happens all the time. And and yet there's endless opportunities all around us to steal. And so many times there's opportunities to steal where we think no one's going to even notice. Tons of opportunities to steal from misusing hundreds of thousands of dollars raised in a GoFundMe campaign 
to grabbing up a few bucks from mom's purse, from failing to report some income on your IRS tax returns to snatching a french fry off your neighbor's plate when they're looking. I think I did that to Darren a little while back. From nabbing a little company product your employer isn't looking, to slipping a pack of bubblegum into your pocket at the store, from pirating software on the internet to borrowing something with no intention of giving it back, from embezzling funds, it's amazing to me that this happens, embezzling funds from the church office to using money that God has given us purely for selfish purposes. We could go on and on. There's opportunities to steal everywhere. And and so often, our minds don't even think that way. We're not even alerted to the fact because we're so used to it. When we've lived in the shadows, life was all about getting. It was all about taking. It was all about grabbing up for ourselves. And even when we did have opportunity to give and actually did give, it was often veiled with motives that (laughs) really were all about what we could get. And this is what happens in dating relationships all the time, right? Yeah, we give. We're kind. We're compassionate. We sometimes fake interest. We listen for hours and hours on end on the phone. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, wow, it's amazing. And really, you're just thinking, when is this going to be over? Oh, but I've got to keep going here. I'm dating. We're generous. We're curious. We go out of our way. We do anything and everything to get that person to like us. Are we genuinely loving? Probably not. We're thinking about what we can get out of it. That's what's motivating us. We're looking for maybe love, maybe acceptance, a sense of self-worth or significance that comes from having this beautiful person uh, be interested in us. Maybe we're looking for a ring, or maybe in some cases just for a good time. In the shadows, so many of us were takers and thieves, but that's not the way that we learned Christ. In Christ, our whole worldview has has been flipped upside down, and no longer do we see ourselves as beggars who need to just take everything that we can, but we look at ourselves and we realize, yeah, we were completely impoverished. We had nothing. We had nowhere to go. We had no way that we were going to lift ourselves up out of the muck and the mire, but Jesus Christ gave us everything. He brought us from rags to riches by giving up everything for us. And as we seek to put on Christ and be like Him, we do so with this new sense of purpose, don't we? That our lives, like that of Christ, might be poured out for the good of others. Rather than swoop down on a a person's table when they're just getting up to get a refill... We're now looking around the room trying to help others be seated. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him, rather let him labor. Let him work, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. This is a complete turnaround here. Christians living in the light, they need to show Christ-like love to each other as they exchange stealing for giving. Lies for truth 
bad anger for good anger, stealing, forgiving, one more. Exchanging words that cut for words that build. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. That word for corrupting there in the Greek, it has to do with a bad, rotting fruit or fish, right? Have you ever seen what happens when there's one bad piece of fruit and it's next to all the other good pieces of fruit? It shares, it's nasty with the rest of the fruit that's in the bowl. It's disgusting. Christ didn't die so that we could be healed and then go around spreading disease to each other. That'd be kind of like being a, a carrier of a disease, right? You don't experience the effects of the disease, but you go around and everyone you touch, you're infecting with that disease. And that's what we so often do with our words. Yes, I've been, I've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ, and then every time I open my mouth, I'm cutting others down. And I'm hurting the body of Christ. That is not what we were saved for. Notice he says, only such as is good for building up. When we open our mouths, we need to check our motives. We need to be asking ourselves, why am I going to say the things that I am about to say? Why am I going to let these words slip off of my tongue? Is it so that they're going to encourage this other person here? Is it so that it's going to build up the body of Christ, encourage the body of Christ? Is it helpful? Is it constructive? And even when we're at a place when we need to call someone out, right? There are those times. If, you've, if you are a parent or you had young kids at one point, you know that those moments come, and they come very frequently in the Burke home. There are times when you have to call someone out. You have to make it very clear that what is being done is wrong, and you have to sometimes discipline But we need to make sure that those truthful words, and they are truthful, that they're spoken in love, right? That they're spoken with the intention that good is going to come to that person. That's it. You know, when we think about church discipline, I used to think, oh, churches that practice church discipline, that's so awkward. It's so, I don't want to go there. I don't want to be part of that. And now I realize church discipline, that that is a wonderful act of love. And it takes the form of us seeing a brother or sister and realizing there's something going on there that I don't think is edifying to Christ and I don't think it's good for them. And it would not be loving for me if I kept my mouth shut. I need to go talk to them. I need to go encourage them. I need to go point them and help, help point them to Christ, help them to see that this course of action, this pattern of behavior, this is going to kill them. Right? We need to make sure that all our words are spoken in love. And then he writes, as fits the occasion. There are times when we feel like, like speaking, but the best thing for us to do is just to not speak at all. We need to be wise. We need to speak what is appropriate, when, is, when it is appropriate, and the place that it is appropriate to say it. And then Paul says that it may give grace to those who hear as people who's had 
who have had God's grace poured out on us, we need to use words that pour out grace on each other. And as we go from here, as we're talking to each other throughout the week or out here on the campus, our, one of our goals should be to be Christ in the sense that the things that we are saying are communicating grace to each other. Yeah, we all know, we all know that we make mistakes. And we need to point each other to the love of Jesus Christ that he has even now extending forgiveness to each other. It's kind of like an executor entrusted to, um, to disperse with the funds, the holdings of an estate. We walk this planet entrusted to distribute the, in, the, the most valuable commodity in existence, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we speak words to one another, our words should just be laced with that gospel. The grace of God should just become showering from us and on to all of the hearers, the recipients. We need to exchange words that cut for words that build. And then Paul moves to sum everything up here in verse 30. He says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. So if you've placed your trust in Christ... God's Spirit, even right now, indwells you, is living inside of you. Remember, when you heard the word of truth, uh, chapter 1, verse 13, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, you were sealed with this promised Holy Spirit. And Paul is saying now, so now that you've been sealed, you have God's Holy Spirit living inside of you, you, we need to stop living in ways that are making God's Spirit sorry to be hanging out in such a sin-filled place. At our house, and I imagine probably most of you, when you have guests over, you want to do everything that you can to make those guests comfortable right and you want to get rid of everything that might be harmful to them or might uh, make it just difficult for them to be there in your house with you those of us who have placed our trust in christ well we have a guest and how are we preparing our home why would we do anything to grieve the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. So Paul says, okay, well, you need to get rid of some things. You need to get rid of bitterness, <laughs> that resentment that you have towards others. You need to let it go. You've got to forgive, and you've got to forget it, and you've got to move on. You need to get rid of wrath. That Greek word there is thumos. It connotates this wild rage. You, don't be doing that. You need to get rid of that making your guest uncomfortable. You need to get rid of anger. We already talked about that. Clamor, these harsh words that are spewing out of your mouth, seemingly out of control. You need to get rid of that. Slander, intentionally speaking lies, hoping to hurt someone else. None of that. Malice, malicious behavior, it's actions intended to harm others. They should have no place in you. Notice, all these things are relational. They all have to do with how we relate to each other. Instead, Paul tells us we're to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. 
in the 20 or so years that I've been in ministry, the number one reason that people have given me for not being a part of a church anymore. And they hear my pastor and they're like, well, yeah, I haven't been in church for a long time. Let me tell you why. And nine times out of ten, it's all about how people in the church have hurt them. And they saw hypocrisy. And I'm, I understand. We've all been there. We've all experienced that hurt. Sometimes it's far worse than others. But, I, but when I'm looking at these people, I'm often thinking, why aren't you forgiving? You're expecting everyone else to be kind and tender-hearted and forgiving towards you, and yet you haven't forgiven yet. This is what he's talking about. We need to be kind. We need to be friendly and generous and considerate towards each other. We need to be tender-hearted. There should be a gentleness about us as we're speaking to each other, as we're watching each other and seeing a need. We need to be gentle and caring. We need to be forgiving. And this, I think this is the most important because if this isn't there, we know we're going to fail in the first two. If this one isn't here, we're done. Forgiveness is essential. We've been forgiven so much. We need to forgive the little wrongs that have been done to us. In short, we need to love each other. We need to love each other as Jesus loved us. And how did Jesus love us? Well, he laid down his life for us. That's what we're called to do. Christians living in the light, they need to show Christ-like love to each other. It's not easy. But it's essential. We need to give of ourselves for the good of others, especially those in the church. We live in a mad, mad world. It's, it's the reality. But as people who have been brought out of the darkness into the light, we shouldn't be contributing to that madness anymore. We're not to live like those table pouncers. We're to put off the old and to put on the new. We've stepped into the light. Now we need to embrace the light Christians living the light, they need to show that Christ-like love to each other as they exchange lies for truth, bad anger for good anger, stealing, forgiving, and words that cut for words that build. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. And I'll be the first to admit I am convicted by it. I see myself in here and not in a good way. And Lord, I... I ask that your Holy Spirit would forgive me, forgive us, for the ways that we continue to fall short, Lord, and I know and trust that you will do it because that's why Jesus came. And the grace he gave us when we first placed our trust in him is the same grace and forgiveness that we experience each and every day of our lives as we continue to fail, Lord. And yet, I pray that you would refine us that you would come inside as you have, Lord, and begin cleaning, sanctifying us, transforming us so that we look more and more like Jesus Christ. And Lord, as you fill us with your truth, Lord, would your Spirit do that work and bring to mind the things that need to be changed, Lord? And would you empower us to, to work towards those changes? 
to become more loving as Christ has loved us. And Lord, may we first see it in the church. But Lord, I thank you for such a wonderful church as Bethany that already displays so much of this here, Lord. But we know the reality is we're not perfect. Continue to refine us. Continue to make us whole. Continue to help us live like people who've been brought out of darkness and into the marvelous marvelous light. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this time we've had in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.